I want you to open your Bible over to Revelation chapter 20. The book of Revelation, as we continue our series, Countdown to Armageddon. Back on April 14th through 15th, not last year, 1912. Maybe some of you know what took place back then. That was when the famous, unsinkable Titanic sank. Wasn't supposed to happen. Wasn't possible that that would happen. And yet it did happen. Uh, People had false hope, false confidence, and yet that ship went down. And I know there were lifeboats for the Titanic. Uh, Many people, nevertheless, thousands of people ended up dying, drowning in that cold water. In a lot of ways, folks, the story of history is one of a sinking ship, okay? The world is sinking. Things are falling apart. That is not pessimistic because I'm optimistic because of the answer that there is. And the beauty of it is that that answer is there for everyone. The world is like the sinking ship. It's it's going down, it's unraveling, it's falling apart. Perversion is escalating and multiplying and wickedness and and the uh, divisions among society and the world continue. Evil is becoming deeper and deeper and deeper. What used to be evil practices such as satanic worship and so forth are now have come to the forefront. They're right out in the open, unashamed. Unbelievable things going on in that regard. It's a sinking ship. The world is a sinking ship. And yet God in his grace has provided a lifeboat, but only one, only one. And the beauty of that lifeboat is it's big enough for everybody. Most unique lifeboat in all the world. By the way, the lifeboat has a name and it's not neuter, it's masculine. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is the lifeboat of the world. Now you can choose to either sink or jump in the lifeboat and be delivered. It's up to you. As we continue on our series, Countdown to Armageddon, this week we are talking about the final judgment of the lost. And that final judgment is called the Great White Throne Judgment. Now, before we get there, I wanted to maybe do a little review with our chart, our prophecy chart that we've been looking at on and off during this series. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. By the way, I have a a new pointer that you will be able to see. How's that? Did you hear that? Louie, thank you, Louie. Somebody in Tampa named Louie gave this to me. This is one of those industrial strength ones that actually has a danger label on it. This is the kind of thing, if you wanted to spend your life in jail, use one of these around an airport, okay? They're not going to take very kindly to it. Anyways, here we see kind of like uh, from the time of Christ, the history of the world. We see the first coming of Christ. He lived, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave, he ascended to heaven, and then started something that the world had never known about because it was a mystery in the Old Testament. And that something is called the church or the church age. Now, I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 years long is is how long it'll go, somewhere in the neighborhood. We can't set dates because we don't know when Jesus is gonna come back. But the church age will end with something called the rapture, which we have already studied uh, here. 
the rapture of the church, when Jesus is going to descend and he's going to call out of the world all believers who have uh, either, who are alive or else, okay, the bodies of those believers who have died during that period of time. The people who died during this period of time and went home to be with the Lord, they're actually coming back with them at the rapture to be reunited with a changed, glorified body. Those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And that's what the rapture is. Jesus will come, but he won't come all the way to earth. We'll meet him in the air and we'll forever be with the Lord. Now, those left on the planet will go through as we have studied in detail the seven-year period of call to, called the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. It's all prophetic. It's all in the word of God, and it is coming. There are no signs for the rapture of the church. However, there are lots of signs for the tribulation period, trends, you might say, things happening in the world. And we have seen many of those things happen in our lifetime. We believe that the rapture of the church Scriptures are clear that this takes place before the seven-year tribulation period begins. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, Jesus is going to come back from heaven all the way to earth. So he's not just going to come partway and call us up. We are going to be coming back with him at what we call the second coming of Christ to earth. And that will be at the end of the tribulation period. It will deliver this world from total annihilation and destruction at least the people of the world, and there will be then a judgment of the nations. We touched on that last time. After the judgment of the nations or the judgment of sheep and goats, then will be a kingdom age, a millennium. And the last time we were together on this, that is what we talked about. An amazing time when the world is going to transform. At the end of that period of time, by the way, during this kingdom age, Jesus will rule and reign on in person. I'll say review that in just a moment, okay? But I want you to see the chart. At the end of that period of time, there is one final judgment called the great white throne judgment, and then we will go on into eternity. Now, this week, we are talking about this final judgment called the great white throne judgment, okay? One thing we did not cover during this series, which we'll cover next week, is this thing called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that takes place in heaven, and that is for believers. More about it next week. Today we're going to focus on the great white throne judgment. So let's open our Bible over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, and let's look at verse 4. In quick review about the kingdom age, and it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay? Believers will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Now, thousand years is where we get the term millennium. The word millennium means thousand years. And so that is the, uh, you know, when people say, well, I don't, I don't see the word millennium in the Bible. I don't believe in it. Yeah, but thousand years is there, and that is exactly what the thousand years means. Millennium, the millennium, understand this. The millennium is the most gracious last chance for man that God could ever give. Get this. Number one, 
The Lord Jesus Christ will rule the entire planet in righteousness without interference from Satan for a thousand years on this planet. Jesus will literally be here in person, okay? And he will be glorified. He will be in his glorified body and he will be here ruling and reigning from, I believe, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Years. Secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ will rule with a rod of iron and execute swift and effective justice. And we saw this a couple weeks ago when we talked about this period of time. Uh, sin will not be allowed to go unchecked, okay? Judgment will be swift, okay? There won't be any clandestine things going on with nations behind the scene that aren't going to be taken care of by, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He will step in, and those of us who will be in his government will be executing for him righteousness around the world. As a result, it will be an unprecedented time of peace on the planet. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace, Third, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform the world into a place of indescribable beauty. Now, we saw that the last time, how the lion will lay down with the lamb and all these different things, and hopefully we'll be able to take rides in the summertime on the back of a great white shark. I just thought that would be cool. Here's the point. The curse that is on the planet today is going to be reversed, and this will continue for one thousand years. We can't even understand a thousand years because it's so beyond even one human lifetime. The world will turn into a vast garden of Eden. It will be more spectacular than the world has ever been since Adam and Eve sinned. It'll be absolutely amazing. Peace will reign. Jesus will be here in person. Justice will be there. There will be very few attorneys. There won't be a need for them, okay? Because of all the corruption and evil. And, and he will understand this. You might say, well, what about all the different governments of the world? Eh, eh, no, no, no. There will only be one government. And he will be the king. You might say, well, that's a one world government. Yeah, But it's a good one world government. It's a great, it's the best one world government there could ever be. Jesus will be ruling and reigning on the planet. And so it's all gonna be great. The curse will be lifted. People will have great health. Those of us who are, who are believers now are gonna come back. We're gonna have glorified bodies. We'll be able, we won't, need any, we won't need any sleep. You might say, oh, I love sleep. You won't need sleep. You won't want sleep. You will be so thrilled and so wired and excited about life and honoring and praising God with the way you live your life and what you do. It'll be the last thing on your mind is sleep. Your entire heartbeat will be to bring glory to God. It's gonna be amazing. And this kingdom age will only begin with believers. But you see, there will be believers who come out of the tribulation period in not glorified bodies, unglorified bodies, natural bodies like we have today. And they will come out of the tribulation. And even though they're saved, they'll still be sinners. And they are gonna give birth to children. And those children will need a savior. Now, over a thousand years... While it is true that things will be better and be getting better than ever, it'll also be true that there will still be people in the world who will not recognize nor accept Jesus Christ as the Savior. It's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to believe. 
those of us who know him by faith. To see him with your eyes, to know who he is, to see the world better than it's ever been before, and all of this you can have by simple faith in him, and yet to think that there will be people who will not accept him. By the way, for that thousand years, Satan will be locked up in hell, okay, or in the abyss. He will be, he will be locked up, and he will not be tempting the nations But at the end of the period of time, at the end of the kingdom age, what the Lord is going to do is he is going to let Satan free for a certain period of time. Now, this is staggering, but this is what's going to happen. Look with me again, Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, verse 8, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, Gog and Magog, okay, that is a name given to those who oppose God. It is also mentioned in Ezekiel 38 through 39, but that's not the same battle. The Ezekiel 38, 39 battle, I believe, takes place during the first half of the tribulation period, But nevertheless, the opposers of God are called Gog and Magog. Here you have another reference to the opposers of God in Revelation chapter 20, but it is a different battle. Verse 9, and they went up, now imagine this, Jesus is ruling and reigning, everything is perfect, as perfect as can be in the world, and yet Satan will be loosed and he will gather all the rebels of the world because there will still be people who don't want to have anything to do with God. And they are going to side with him and join him as stupid as they are, and there's no better word for it. They're going to join him in rebelling and trying to fight against the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the everlasting ruler of eternity. It doesn't get any dumber than that. Verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city, that is Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. End of story. Think of it. This is the final act of rebellion of all time. This does away, by the way, with the idea that if man could only live in a better environment, he would act better than he does. Do you understand, friend? The problem is inside of man, not outside of man, okay? It's inside of man. You can have a perfect environment given to you, and if you are not right with God, you're gonna make a mess of it. That's the truth of it. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse nine, what does it tell us? It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. The heart, the innermost being of man, is deceitful above all things. In other words, it is lying by nature. It is a liar by nature. That's why we can deceive ourselves. That's why when you see movies today and here's all these sweet, perfect-looking people with perfect teeth, and they say, well, just listen to your heart. Just listen to your heart. That's why we're in the mess we are today is because we're listening to our hearts instead of to God. Now, The problem is inside of man, not outside of man, because during the kingdom age, 
The Lord Jesus Christ loves and gives the world everything it could have ever wanted as far as righteousness and wonder and blessing and joy, unbelievable food and beauty and everything else, a righteous government. And yet there are people who will rebel and revolt against him. Why? It isn't because he did anything wrong. It's because they're wicked. It's because man is wicked. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I I believe there's a, you know, like Nancy Pelosi says, I believe there's a spark of divinity in every man. Oh, yeah? Is that why you, you think it's okay to kill babies in the womb? Is that what a spark of divinity does? It slaughters babies in the womb? It disrespects our commander in chief at a state of his union address. She's in the background ripping up things. Is that what a spark of divinity does? I'm sorry, friend, that's hypocrisy, and hypocrisy is a sin. We don't have a spark of divinity. We are fallen. We need a new birth. We need to be saved is what we need. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them, look at that. The devil that deceived those people was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, remember, they were cast into that lake of fire. They were the first occupants back when Jesus came back and defeated the armies of the world at his second coming. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. It will be a forever existence of torture, misery, pain, anguish, affliction, agony. This is the lake of fire. This is the destiny of the lost, which brings us to the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. I can't even comprehend that. This is beyond our understanding. God let us know what's gonna happen, but he really doesn't explain the details. I don't understand this, how the earth and heaven can flee away and there's found no place for them. Okay, so where are we existing? We are, must be existing in a spiritual realm at this point. And I saw the dead, and that's not referring to believers. And I saw the dead stand before God, the books, and the books were open. And another book, you notice that? There's books, plural, and book, singular. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead, the lost, were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Look at what it says. According to what? According to their works. You notice small and great stand before him. God is no respecter of persons. If you are lost, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Savior, you will stand at the great white throne judgment. But I'm telling you, dear friend, listen. While the world is a sinking ship, the lifeboat is there willing to take you and deliver you. You don't have to stand there. Verse 13, in the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. According to their works. You might say, wait a minute, I I thought we don't go to hell because of our uh, works. I thought it's what we do with Jesus Christ. That's true. Let me explain it. Let me explain it. It's clear here in the text. Let's break this down. 
The first thing is this. Every lost person of all time will stand at the great white throne. It doesn't matter when they died, when they lived. If they died without having accepted the Messiah who would come make a payment for sin, the Old Testament, they didn't know him as Jesus by name. But after he was here, of course, we look back and we know him. But nevertheless, it is the same Jehovah God. You must put your faith in the Messiah and him alone as your savior. And unless you do that, you will never see heaven and you will stand at the great white throne judgment. Every lost person of all time will stand at the great white throne. Now listen carefully to what we're covering on this. Very important that you get it. See, it doesn't matter that they believed in God or not. People today, have you ever, you witnessed the someone, they say, well, I believe in God. In other words, what they're saying is they're not an atheist. But you see, friend, you may believe God exists, but have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ that he is God who made the payment for your sin? Trust, believing that God exists doesn't get you to heaven. Trusting in Jesus Christ that he is God who paid for your sin is what gets you to heaven. There's a big difference. By the way, you notice all the dead, small and great, everyone who never trusted Jesus Christ the Savior will be judged according to their works. All the lost of all time will stand at the great white throne. There will be no smirks on the faces of former atheists. No smirks. Notice I said former atheists. Because they're standing before the God they mocked and ridiculed and made fun of and dismissed. Oh, I guess I was wrong. They will know they were wrong as soon as they die. As a matter of fact, I think they know they're wrong. But because of their rebellion, they refuse. Because of their false ideas. They refuse him in this life. They will be standing in front of the one whom they denied and fought. How silly for atheists to spend their lives trying to prove God doesn't exist. If he doesn't exist, then why do you have to try to prove it? How can you? Quit wasting your time, friend. If he doesn't exist, then quit trying to prove he doesn't exist. Because the very fact you're trying to prove he doesn't exist proves he exists. Secondly, notice there are the books and the book. Do you see it? There's the books and there's the book. Verse 12. The books contain the works of people. The book is the book of life. Only the saved will be in the book of life. Those at the great white throne judgment will not be in the book of life. Why? Because they never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's why. Their names, the Bible says, have been blotted out. Third, the lost will be judged according to their works. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't understand, so listen carefully. They will be judged according to their works. You might say, wait, I thought going to heaven is not based on works. It's not. It's based on what Christ has done. See, here's the truth, though. They can't be judged on the basis of faith in Christ because they rejected him as their savior. They did not accept him on the basis of faith. Instead, they put their confidence in themselves, which is their work. So that is what they're judged by. They trusted in their works. So basically, God says, okay, if that's where you're going to put your faith, then I'll judge you according to that. And so where do they stand? They stand at a judgment reserved for people who are lost. 
And it does not determine whether or not they're going to go to heaven or hell. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. The great white throne judgment determines the severity of their suffering in hell for all eternity. See, friend, where they're going when they die was decided on when they died without Christ. This we need to understand. Hold your place here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I want to cover a verse that is very, passage I should say, that is very misunderstood. And I'll tell you, when you see this, you see a lot. Matthew chapter 7. I cannot tell you the amount of people I have shared the gospel with who are trusting in their works to some extent for salvation. And I share the gospel with them. They say, well, I can't believe that. The Bible says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Haven't you read that chapter? Oh, yes, I've read that passage. Let's go there. Let's look at it. Dear friend, this is how twisted our world is, how blind people are. It is saying the exact opposite of the way they're taking it. They're seeing it completely flipped. Watch it carefully. Verse 21, not everyone, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, if you just looked at that verse, I could see where there could be some confusion about it, but verses don't stand by themselves. They have a context, okay? In the context, the will of the Father has to be something other than good works because according to the next verses, good works is what will not save them. It's just the opposite of what they're saying. They say, well, the Bible says that it's, you, you can say, Lord, Lord. And by the way, saying Lord, Lord does not mean you trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're just simply recognizing who he is. See, it says here in verse 21, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father, according to John 6, 28, 29, is that you believe on him whom he has sent. That you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the will of the Father. People ask him, what good works? What mighty work? Or what do we need to do as far as works? And Jesus said, okay, you, you want to look at human responsibility? In getting to heaven, I'll tell you what it is. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. That's what John says. Now, I know I didn't give you those scriptures, but it's John 6, 28, 29. Let's go back to this passage in Matthew. Again, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Uh, uh, See there, you got to do good works. No, friend, read on. Many will say to me in that day, none of them say this, Lord, Lord, I trusted you as my Savior. I put my faith in you alone as Savior. None of them say that. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? That's a good work. And in thy name have cast out devils or demons. That's a good work. And in thy name done many wonderful, what? Works. They're depending on their works. They're looking to their works for entrance. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight. 
The works of a lost man are not recognized as entrance to heaven. So really what this passage in Matthew is talking about is here's people and they're saying, Lord, Lord, we did all these works, all these wonderful works. He said, depart from me, you work iniquity. I never knew you. They weren't coming on the basis of faith. Their confidence was in themselves, in their good deeds. Do you see it? What does the Bible say in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9? Look at it. For by grace are you saved through faith. Here it is. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works. We've done many wonderful works. Depart from me, you work iniquity. I never knew you. Because that's not how you get in. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. Not of works, lest any man should boast. By the way, isn't it interesting? There they are standing before Jesus and they are boasting in their works. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Friend, you don't get to heaven by good works. Now listen, obviously we have a church, we have a preschool, we have a a Sunday school program, we have a elementary school, a high school, junior high school here at our church. We've got all these different ministries. Certainly we believe as a church that we should do good works, but not as a means to enter heaven. It's because this is how we keep the doors open with people. This is how we reach people for Christ. This is how we glorify him as believers, but not as an entrance to heaven. Let's move on in our study here in Revelation. And the fourth thing here is this. There will be many religious people at the great white throne. Now, I want you to understand that, friend, because that may be you. That might be you. You may think, well, you know what? I, I, I believe by me, I still think I need to live a faithful life to get to heaven. I still think I need to do good works to go to heaven. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to live a moral life. I'm trying to live a life of a good Christian. And friend, you may be sincere, but can I say, I say it in love, you are sincerely wrong. If you could earn your way to heaven by works, Jesus would have never come. He came because you couldn't. Let me say it again. He came because you couldn't. And he died in your place and he paid for your sin and he rose from the grave. And if you trust in him as your savior, he'll give you as a gift everlasting life. Many people will stand before at the great white throne. I think of those we meet and we share the gospel with in one place or another. And uh, hey, can I, can I, well, at the fair, would you like to take spiritual viewpoints over it? No, I'm good. I'm good. Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. Friend, you're not good. You're a sinner in need of a savior. Many who were very sincere in their faith are going to stand at the great white throne. But their faith, you see, was in the wrong thing. Namely, their faith was in themselves or their denomination or their false religion or, or their church. This is where their faith was. It wasn't in what Christ did on the cross. And it's only those who trust Christ the Savior, who will not stand at the great white throne in judgment because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. See, sincerity is not a substitute for truth. You know, the apostle Paul was incredibly sincere before he got saved. But once he got saved, he understood he had been sincerely wrong. Sincerely wrong. Now, this is a, um, this is a frightening passage when you look at it. Let's move on. 
let me say this front. Well, let's, let's go over to John chapter three. Look with me to John chapter three. Again, I want to emphasize this for those who, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this, dear friend. Maybe I've sent you for a loop this morning with that look at Matthew chapter seven, which is usually misinterpreted by people. And by the way, if you're ever looking for a good commentary or a good study Bible or whatever, there are key passages to go to to see how they interpret it, whether you want to invest in that or not. One of them is Matthew chapter seven. John chapter three and verse 16, look what it says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is that referring to? Well, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus on how to be born again, how to have eternal life. Watch this for a moment, just to illustrate this. This represents you and me and my wallet represents our sin. God loves the world. He loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. To get to heaven, we have to be sinless and none of us are. God says we've sinned against him. Our sin separates us from him. And if we die with our sin, we'll have to spend eternity in the lake of fire separated from God. Good works won't take it away. The only payment for sin is death. Because God loved us so much and does not want us to be lost, he himself entered the human race in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh lived the perfect life, went to the cross, and when he went there, he took our sin upon himself. He made the payment so we don't have to. He did all the work so we don't have to. He died, was buried, and rose from the grave And he says, if you will believe in him, trust in him that he did that for you, look what it says, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see that in verse 16? Jump with me though to verse 17. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but to be a lifeboat. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's a beautiful verse. Verse 18. Now watch it, verse 18. He that believeth on him, not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at that verse 18. Condemnation, if you believe in him, no condemnation. If you have not believed in him, you are already condemned. You better trust in him as your Savior before you die. I say, well, I don't know when I'm going to die. Well, then you better trust in him now. Condemned already. Why? It isn't because you haven't lived a Christian life. It is because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus, God who is our Savior. Christ is a title. It wasn't his last name. Okay, if you looked up Jesus' name in a phone directory, I know they didn't have phones, but if you would have looked it up, okay, what's his, I'll look under Christ. No, you know, it was known... Jesus of Nazareth, okay. Christ is his title, the anointed one, the Messiah. God who is our Savior, the Messiah. When you trust in him, that is who you're trusting in him. That it, You're believing that he is your Savior, your Messiah. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And I'd say, well, then, according to that verse, the only, the only difference between a person who goes to heaven and goes to hell is whether they've put their faith in Christ as Savior or not. Yes. What about the way they live? Well, it's good for Christians to live right, but that's not the basis of you getting to heaven. 
The basis of you getting to heaven is have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you do, you're not condemned. You have everlasting life. If you haven't, you don't have everlasting life. And you are already condemned. And by the way, the fact that unbelievers are already condemned proves that works won't bring salvation. It proves that works won't save. Why? Because if you're already condemned, you haven't lived your whole life yet to see whether you can live it or not. See, going to heaven's not based on whether you can live it or not, because you can't. Going to heaven's based on what will you do with Jesus Christ. Back to Revelation chapter 20. It says in verse 14, now remember, they're judged, the lost are judged according to their works. They're not in the book of life. They're in the books, and that's where their works are. See, God keeps track, by the way. Friend, God keeps track of everything everybody does in this world, both saved and lost, by the way. More about the saved next week. And death, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Another point I want to mention is this. Scripture bears out that there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Degrees of punishment in hell. We won't cover it, but in Matthew 23, verses 13 through 14, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he told them, he says, you lead people astray and you are going to receive the greater condemnation because you lead people astray. The greatest judgment will be to those who have led people astray in the name of God and in the name of false religion. They're deceivers, okay? They're false teachers. They are going to receive a greater condemnation. They either rejected Jesus Christ totally or tried to add something to the finished work of Christ on the cross as the complete payment for sin, which would be the sin of blasphemy, If you think there's something more you can do than what Jesus Christ has done, friend, you are blaspheming God because when Jesus hung on the cross, he said it's finished, paid in full. There's nothing you can add to it. Nothing you can add. Which brings us to our last point today, and it is this, kind of a summary. There are two final judgments. All final judgments have to do with works, but neither determines the eternal destiny of a person. Now, that's a hard concept for people to get, but you need to get it, okay? There are two final judgments. All final judgments have to do with works. Neither determines the eternal destiny of a person. The first one we covered today is for the lost, which is the great white throne judgment. This determines the degree of punishment they will deal with forever in hell. The second judgment is for the believer. That takes place in heaven. And it is called the judgment seat of Christ. That's right after the rapture of the church. This takes place in heaven and has to do with rewards for faithful living. So the great white throne has to do with the amount of punishment a lost person will suffer for all eternity in hell. The judgment seat of Christ takes place in heaven and has to do with rewards for believers on how they live their life since they got saved. So one has to do with suffering and torment. The other one has to do with rewards and honor. What a difference. What a difference. 
I'd say, well, it's like the difference between heaven and hell. Well, really it is, isn't it? Because if you're, if you're in heaven, there is no condemnation to those in heaven, okay? There is no punishment to those in heaven. It's not purgatory, it's heaven. Those of us of a Catholic background get that. But for those who are lost, there will never be any mercy. You will suffer forever and you'll never get a break forever and ever and ever. That's why it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, a change of mind. And then let me leave you with one verse today, Romans chapter 6 in verse 23. Look at the clarity of this, friend. For the wages of sin is death, the wages of sin. We have sinned against God. We've sinned against God. And we're going to receive something. The wages of sin is death. We would, be, we would die physically and spend forever separated from God in hell. If you don't trust Christ as Savior, that's your destiny. But look at the beauty of the next part. But the gift of God, the gift of God, it's free, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you trust in Christ, there's no condemnation. Your sins are forgiven. When you die, you go to be with the Lord in heaven. I hope that makes sense to you. You don't want to be at the great white throne judgment. You do want to be in heaven. I urge you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.